Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Tonight we're looking at Mark 4, and, or, or the spiritual mark uh, of uh, what we're going through, uh, not 4, number 5. And uh, just week after week, we've been reminded uh, that this process of spiritual maturity is a process by which we are becoming more and more Christ-like uh, every single day, hopefully. Uh, we've said every single week that we're predestined as God's children to be conformed to the image of Christ. We're predestined as God's children uh, to be like Him. And so um, Jesus even says, hey, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect in Matthew chapter 5. And so this is what our call is. This is what God has uh, given to us to do in this life is to become more like Christ. Um, he gave gifts to the church in the form of gifted men. Ephesians chapter 4 says, uh, for the reason of teaching the word of God so that every single member becomes a mature person and that collectively the body grows up <clears throat> excuse me, into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. And so that is every single one of our purposes, but also our purpose as a church is to grow into spiritual maturity. Um, if we are not, if we're not getting that, if we're not finding that day by day, we're growing day by day, these marks that we've been talking about are becoming more evident in our life, then maybe there's some of those impedances that we've been talking about. Maybe there's uh, something standing in the way of us becoming more Christ-like. And again, we've looked at four impedances. We've looked at four marks. Tonight, we're looking at the fifth one. And I think it's so important uh, maybe the, the epic example or the epic mark, if you will, of spiritual maturity, the, this identifying mark of a Christian who is more and more Christ-like. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to, to talk about this tonight. So let's pray and we'll look at it. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all the blessings that you give us, Lord. Thank you for this time tonight uh, to uh, worship you in song, to gather around your word. Um, and to be instructed, Lord, to be reminded, be encouraged. Um, Lord, I, I pray that we would um, take your word with us tonight, and it would be applied in our life. God, if this mark is not something that's evident in our life, uh, that we would do whatever is necessary uh, to allow it to come forth, uh, to become evident. Uh, Lord, as our lives are, are, are striving to be more like you. Uh, Lord, we pray that you just bless now, use me as a vessel. Um, and be exalted in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you got your notes, mark number five is sacrifice. Sacrifice. As I've said before, we're not necessarily going uh, in a chronological order through these. It's just as the Lord kind of put them on my heart, I, I jot them down, and uh, this is kind of where we come to. Um, and so... Uh, I said a while ago, I think it's an epic mark because if we're striving after Christ, then our lives are supposed to be coming, be coming more like Christ every single day, obeying his word, growing spiritually. Again, our lives looking more like his life. And we realize what his entire life on this earth was culminating to. The sacrifice on the cross. And so when we think about Jesus Christ, he came to this earth. Why did he come to this earth? Scripture is very clear why he came to this earth. He came to give his life as, for a ransom for many, the Bible says. We know that the victory over death happened after the cross, the resurrection. We have life. But again, very clearly in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, 
He says that he came to give his life. That's what he came for. His life was a sacrifice. Hebrews tells us it was this sacrifice. The blood was given once and for all, one sacrifice, finally, for the sins of mankind. I want to read some of these verses uh, that we have there in your notes. Hebrews chapter 10. uh, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect or make complete those who draw near. In other words, the old law, the Old Testament law that was uh, upheld by sacrifices of lambs and bulls could never fully bring somebody to justification, never fully bring somebody to a complete person uh, because of the nature of their uh, being. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. Again, if this was something that actually took care of sins once and for all, sacrificing bulls and goats and such, um, then it, it would be done. There would not be a need to do it every single year. But these sacri- in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. Every year that they, the high priest would go in and offer the sacrifice for the sins of the nation, it was a reminder that the sin remained on the people. It was, it was something that had to be done over and over and over until that sacrifice was made. It was there. They had to continually do this every single year. For it's impossible, he says, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings or burnt offerings and, and, and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. He added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So this is this is. The sacrifice that has been made for all mankind. It's not having to be made year after year. It doesn't have to be made. It's not made by blood, uh, the blood of bulls and goats. But it is made by the blood of Jesus Christ. The one and only sacrifice that's sufficient. And every, every priest stands daily at his service. Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a, sacrif- a single sacrifice... For sins, once it was done, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So it's only with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it's only with his blood, that we can be made right with God ultimately and eternally. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, This is the covenant that I'll make with them. The Testament is the New Testament. With them, after those days, declare the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds, his law on our heart and our minds. Then he adds, I'll remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Man, what an amazing promise. What an amazing sacrifice. The one and only sacrifice that's sufficient to pay for our sins. When I went to uh, Israel in 2015, uh, they have this area of the wall. Many of you know what it's called. It's called the Wailing Wall. It's called the Western Wall. And in this area, they have very strict guidelines. You are to be respectful. You're not to be loud unless you're having a celebration or you're praising or you're, um, you're praying. 
Uh, other than that, it's to be reverent. Men are supposed to be, uh, only men can go in, uh, in their, uh, and they're supposed to be wearing the, the yarmulke uh, as a covering, as a respect, an honored Lord. They call it a holy place, a sacred place. And the amazing thing that was, was recurring in my mind when I was there was that these people have substituted prayer for the sacrifice that they can't perform anymore on the temple because the Palestinians own the temple. They own the temple mount. And so they don't have a place for sacrifice on the Temple Mount because what we know there is the Dome of the Rock, that big gold dome on the Temple Mount. That's a, that's a, a Muslim mosque. And so the, the Jews have no place for sacrifice. And what was blowing my mind is they, have no, they had no idea that they didn't have to do something. It's exactly what they did when, when Jesus came on the scene. They made something that God did not command. They'd made it something that suited themselves. And so now they're doing the same exact thing. They have no sacrifice. They reject Jesus as the Messiah, the sacrifice for their sins. And so they've substituted prayer, respectful prayer, constant prayer, reciting prayer, memorized prayer, daily prayer. Prayer is good, but prayer does not take away what the sacrifice of Jesus Christ did. And again, they're not willing to do that, but this is what the scripture tells us, that he made that. Similarly, in Romans chapter 6, it tells us that he died to sin once, and that it's the, it's the, the, the sacrifice that needed to be made, and he no longer needs to, be by, uh, to, to die again. Verse 10, he, uh, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, must, so you also must consider yourselves, verse 11, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, one time, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being quickened, but quickened by the Spirit. So to aim at a life that is truly one with Christ, that is truly Christ-like, to, to, for us to have the goal of spiritually maturing to the place that our lives resemble that life of Christ, is to aim at a life of sacrifice. That's what, he, that's what he was. He came, he came to die. He came to give his life for ransom. The Bible says that he died once for all. He said that, that that was the whole purpose that he came was to die for the sins of the world once and for all. And so again, if we are striving after him to live a life that looks like the life he lived, then our life will be a life that's defined by sacrifice. From the beginning, we see that there are different types of sacrifices that God accepts that are pleasing to God, and there are sacrifices that God rejects that are not pleasing to God. Uh, the first example we know, Cain and Abel. Uh, it was recently talked about here that uh, there was a reason why Cain's sacrifice was lacking. There's a reason why Cain's sacrifice was rejected. It wasn't that it was grain. It wasn't that it was of the field, but it was lacking something. It was missing something that Abel's sacrifice had. We know that the grain sacrifices were a part of the Old Testament system as well. Grain offerings, they were a part of it as well. Uh, there were feasts for this. And so uh, this is a part of what God accepted. But the absence uh, in, in Cain's sacrifice was, was the absence of first fruits. See, Abel brought, the Bible says, from the, the fat portions of the first fruits. Abel brought the very best. Abel brought the excess. Abel, Abel brought the very top, the first the very best, again. See, I think that, um, and I think I put this in your notes, when we think about sacrifice, we wrongfully think in terms of affordability. I know I can be guilty of that. I know that 
most Christians can. When we talk about sacrifice, when we talk about our life's sacrifice, when we talk about um, sacrificing anything for the Lord, many times when it comes to deciding whether we're going uh, to, to sacrifice or not, the determining factor is can we afford to sacrifice? Whether it be our time, whether it be our talent, or whether it be our treasure, we think of what we're going to give to God based off of what we think we can afford. I want to consider Abraham and Isaac. Again, we saw Cain and Abel, Abraham and Isaac, the story of a sacrifice in the Bible. But what was the factor that drove Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Was it affordability? Was, was Abraham considering sacrificing his son to God because he could afford it? Or was it something else? Because we, we know that Isaac was the only promised son of God to, to, to Abraham. It, it wasn't Ishmael. Isaac was the promised son, and he was the only one that Abraham had that was the promised son from God. Abraham, in man's eyes, we would look at that, that proposition to sacrifice his promised son of Isaac. We would look at that, and we would say, well, Abraham can't afford to sacrifice Isaac. It's his only promised son. That, that's what, in, in much of our Western American comfortable lifestyles, that's, that's what we think. That's how we estimate things. Well, that's the only one that he has. He can't give Isaac to God. But when looking to God and his holy standard, he couldn't afford not to sacrifice him. See, it was from God that he received Isaac. He couldn't do it in himself. He was past the age of childbearing, the Bible says. And it was God that blessed him. It was God that gave him that. And so in our Bible stories, when we're even teaching our kids, that's how we rationalize it. Well, God gave, it, gave him something that he couldn't have for himself. And so really, it wasn't his. But I think that's where we mess up. I think that's what we don't think about all the blessings in our life, just like we think about Isaac's being the blessing to Abraham like that. We don't even think about the air that we're breathing right now as that type of blessing. I think we often miss the point of sacrifice. See, here's what I, I think we, we miscalculate. When we look at sacrificing for the Lord, when we look at living a life of sacrifice, when we consider this idea of sacrifice, I think we mess up because it's not that God's looking to drain us of the blessings that he's given us. That, that's sometimes where we, we, we mess up. Like, well, why does God need this? Or, or why, why would I need to do this? Or why would I have to do that? I mean, God has everything, and, and, and may, whether it's a conscious thought we have or not, I think sometimes that's how we approach this idea of giving back to an all-powerful king of kings, lord of lords. Why do I need to give anything to God when he owns everything? He blesses me. Again, we, we, we misunderstand, miss this point of sacrifice. God's not looking to drain us of blessings. I mean, think about this. Do you do this to your kids or your grandkids? Do you say, I'm going to give to you, and then I want... I want you to give it all back to me at some point in time. You know, we don't do that to our own kids. When we give to our kids, we give to our kids because why? Why? We love them. And what else? You have the ability? You have the resources? <laughs> but sometimes you do it anyways, even though you don't have the resources. Because you love them. Because you want to. You, you do that. 
And then at some point in time, I know when they mess up, we, we start saying, look, if you, don't, if you don't get it straight, I'm going to take that blessing away. But that's not in our heart to do, like just on a regular basis, to manipulate them and, and to, to Indian give the blessings that we have. I'm going to give you something, and then at some point in time, I'm going to ask it back from you. If we don't do that as earthly parents who are, are absolutely sinful at times, then we know that God doesn't do this. God doesn't give us blessings just to say, okay, there's going to come a point in time, I'm going to ask for that back. I think the main points of sacrifice for us to remember, and I'll put these in your notes, there's three that, that the Lord put on my heart. Number one, the main point of sacrifice is source. Source. If we're going to rightly, if we're going to have a right attitude towards sacrifice, living a life of sacrifice, giving to God, sacrificing God, I mean, if we're going to have that, I think that a main point that we have to get straight is source. The source of what? If we remember and we keep a proper perspective of where all of our blessings come from. If we keep that perspective, every, if, if we keep the source straight in our life, then I think the sacrifice can be made rightly, no matter what it is. Whether it's time, talent, treasure, whatever, your whole life. It's when we think what we have hasn't been given to us, but that we have earned ourselves that we get the wrong perspective of sacrificing to God. Like the stuff that I have is mine. I work hard for this stuff. I work hard for this money so that we can have this nice house and we can have these nice things and we live this life like this. I do this really hard and it's hard. And if I, if I do more, then, then I'll have less. That's our human mind thinking like that. And we don't realize that we didn't even bring our own selves into this world. It was a gift given to it. We, this life is a gift to us. As I said a while ago, the air that's in this place, God is allowing, because of his creation and his design, the air that we breathe to su uh, supply our lungs that function and work to supply the blood uh, with the oxygen so that our muscles and bones and everything else will function properly. We're not making that happen for ourselves. <laughs> I'm not making anything in my lungs work right now. It's God's design that's making it happen. And so that's a blessing of God. And so when we don't, when we forget the source of all of our blessings, that's when we can also forget grace as well. We talked about that recently, last Sunday. The mercy and grace that is given to us. And so um, source is, is, is important. Number two, uh, to remember trust. Because this is what it boils down to, right? This is what sacrifice boils down to. It's because when you understand the source of all your blessings, ultimately it boils down to trusting God. That's what it does. If you can't trust God, if you aren't willing to trust God, then you won't be willing to give. You won't be willing to sacrifice. You won't be able to live a life that, uh, of sacrifice that resembles the life of Christ. If you can't say, listen, everything I have Good is because God has given to me this life, this air, this abilities, this country, uh, the, the job, the, all of these things, my family, uh, all of this stuff are blessings from God. And he has entrusted me with all of these things. If I can't trust him, the one who gave it all to me, to give to him a little bit of my time, to give him a little bit of the abilities and serve him and serve people and serve his body, 
uh, with the abilities and the gifts that he's given. If I can't sacrifice just a little bit of that or even sacrifice some of the treasures that he's blessed me with in this amazing nation that we live in, if I can't trust God, then there's no way, again, we're going to be able to sacrifice rightly. When we don't trust wholly, completely, then we become very stingy and selfish. We tell our kids, you need to share. Hey, is that nice not to help them? Is that nice not to share? But, but sometimes we look at our, the own, the, our own stuff that we have, and we're not willing to part with it because we aren't willing to trust the Lord ultimately and wholly. When I woke up this morning, my eyes opened. I mean, I didn't like tell them to. They just did. I think the alarm did. But they, they, they did it. They woke up. And the rest of my body followed. And my lungs were still breathing all through the night. I was unconscious. And my lungs were still doing what they're supposed to be doing. Because the brain was doing what it's supposed to do. And the heart was following the brain's signals as well. All while I was completely passed out to the world. Blessings from God. If you lay your head down at night to go to sleep, you're trusting him wholly. There's no guarantee what happens next. If we can trust him for that, why couldn't we trust him with everything? Because we do at that moment. We trust him with everything. And maybe you don't. Maybe you don't go to sleep. Maybe you struggle with that. But trust is a, a major thing for us. Remember, the third thing is the heart. And this is the root of it all. Uh, if we don't have a sincere heart towards God, if our heart towards God is not right, then we can't see him as the blesser. We can't see him as the source of all of our blessings. We can't uh, trust him. We'll have a real hard time trusting him if our heart's not right with him. See, when our heart is right, as I said a while ago, we see everything that we have including our lives as the Lord's. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, I think I put it in there, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, uh, says, What you know you not that your body is uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify your God and your body, which are the Lord's. Which are the Lord's. If you're a child of God, you're no longer your own. You don't have anything that you can call your own, because the moment you said, I trust you. The moment you said, I'm yours. The moment you said, I accept the sacrifice you gave for me, paid my sin debt. I trust you. I confess you as Lord. The moment that you did that, the moment that I did that, we were redeemed. We were in bondage to sin, and we were purchased back from the bondage of sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. It was the atonement. It was the, the satisfaction. It was the propitiation. It was everything that was needed to purchase us from the grips of death and sin, sin and death. In that moment, there was an exchange, a glorious exchange. A sinner was given eternal life, and we became a child of God. Adopted into the, the family. But we're not our own. If our heart remains right in this, man, then we can see him as the source. We can trust him with everything. So as I said, heart is, is the, the, the main issue there. I want to ask the question about salvation. Does God require, as I said a while ago, complete trust in order for us to receive his free gift of salvation? Does God require complete trust in order for us to receive his free gift of salvation? 
Yes or no? Does God require, listen to it again, complete trust in order for us to receive his free gift of salvation? Absolutely. Yes. We, we the, the free gift is out there. It's extended. It's there. It's free. You can't earn it. But you cannot receive it until you completely trust him. Until your faith is placed in Christ, you cannot receive that free gift. We cannot receive the free gift until we completely trust him. So yes, it requires complete trust to receive the free gift. It's free. Can't earn it. Can't buy it. Can't trade for it. Can't deserve it. Can't do any of those things. But we absolutely have to trust him. Is this complete trust? Is this reliance? This faith, as the Bible speaks of it, this allegiance, is all of that a sacrifice in itself? I would say yes. Because at this point, when we say, I'm trusting you for life, I'm trusting you with my life, I'm trusting you for salvation, I'm giving everything. What we're doing is we're, as the Bible says, we're leaving that life behind and putting our hand to the plow because Jesus would say, no man's fit for the kingdom of God that puts his hand to the plow and looks back. Why? What was he speaking to? He's talking about absolute trust, complete reliance. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, verse uh, 20 and 21, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not, uh, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's how I live, by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, because if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Galatians chapter 5, 24, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh, and with the affections and the lust, Colossians 3, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 3, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. So when we look at salvation, the Bible very clearly says that we are dead. It's a sacrifice. We have sacrificed ourselves. We are dead to ourselves. We are dead to sin. We are dead to the flesh. We are supposed to keep those things dead. And we are alive in Christ by the faith of Jesus Christ. This is what we have. We have a life that has been laid down. Our life should be defined by sacrifice, and that's exactly what Paul wrote when he was writing to the Romans, a very familiar scripture. Most of you probably know it in here, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a what? A living sacrifice. While we died to self, while we died to flesh, while we died to the old man, while the flesh and the lust and the affections are all dead and crucified, and we're supposed to mortify the members of our flesh daily and keep those things dead every day, it's the definition of what our life is supposed to look like. A constant laying down of ourselves to the Lord. And he goes on to say, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so it's so important for us to live that life of living sacrifice, what we're called to do. Put this in your notes and you jot this down. The more our lives are in our hands or the more control we try to take of our lives, the less our lives will resemble Christ. You can star that, circle it, remember it. The more we try to take control of our lives, the less our lives will resemble the life of Christ. So the opposite is true. The less our lives are in our hands or the less we try to control our life, the more they will resemble Christ. There's two statements on sacrifice that I put in here that sound really good. 
And if I were to just say the first one, which I'm going to say the first one, and it will sound pretty good. But when you hear the second one, you'll understand why the first one doesn't, doesn't match up biblically. They sound good. Two statements on sacrifice. But one is the theme of the maturing, the mature follower of Christ. One bears the mark of maturity. The first statement, Lord, here's what I'll do. Now, if we weren't talking about sacrifice, if we weren't talking about giving, if we're not talking about anything else, and we were just talking about our willingness to obey, if we were talking about our obedience to God's word, if we were talking about being positive and affirmative and, 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 and doing these things that we're supposed to be doing in this life, then if somebody says, listen, this is a prayer that we should pray. Lord, this is what I'll do. You say, yeah, that sounds good. That, that's, that's absolute. But as a statement of life to say, Lord, this is what I'll do, compared to the second one, Lord, what will you have me to do? The first one sounds absurd. To tell God what we will do. But the question I have tonight is, how often do we live our lives like that? Lord, this is what I'll do. I will give you this much of my time. I will give you this much of my talent, of my treasure. God, I, I will... I will I can afford this, God. I can afford that much time every week. I can afford to, 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 to serve you like this or to give to you like that. Lord, this is what I'll do. Here's what I'll do. The other one, Lord, what will you have me to do? Is an absolute sacrificial statement. It was the theme of the Apostle Paul from the very beginning on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. Um, verse 6, he says those words, Lord, what will thou have me to do? He had just given his life to Christ, and, and, and he, he falls blind. And, and his, his statement to God is, what do you want from my life? I'll do it, whatever it is. And again, he would later on go to write in Romans chapter 12, what we read a while ago. We are to present our lives as a living sacrifice, which has that statement as the theme of our lives. Lord, what will you have me to do? My life is a sacrifice unto you. Jesus, it was the theme of his life. Right at the very end of his life, he, he kneels down and, and he prays that prayer in the garden. And he says, nevertheless, not what? Not my will, but thy will be done. That's exactly the theme of his life. That's the theme of, that should be the theme of our life. Not, Lord, what will you have me to do? Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. There's theme songs, I think, that should be sung, should be posted in our lives, that should be, re, should be resounding from our lives if we're living a life of sacrifice. Songs like this, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter, and I'm the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. Another song that should be resounding from our life is a song we sing as well. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus. I surrender. The life of sacrifice is the only life that God can use. Period. When we come to God and we say, God, here's what I'll do. I believe it's similar to what happened in Amos and the prophet wrote to the children of Israel to uh, Isaiah 
uh, wrote, wrote to the people of God when he said, Your sacrifices are a stench in my nostrils. When we, when we come to God and we say, All right, God, I got this for you. Instead of coming to God and saying, God, what do you have for me? Here I am. Job said, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. He would say, he gives and he takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He would say, naked I came into this world, and naked will I return thither. Job was stripped of everything. He was, his life was, was, was a sacrifice unto God, not by choice, but it was by choice because he was able to make those statements when he lost it all. He saw, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what he saw. All good gifts come from above. Tonight, musicians can make their way, but is your life defined by living sacrifice? Let me listen to this. Let me answer this question because God has challenged me with this. And, and I feel like we're all supposed to be challenged with it. Is there anything that you aren't willing to lay at his feet? Think about that. If God asked more for, from you in a certain area, is there something you wouldn't be willing to give? What about more commitment to him? What about more time serving? What about giving? We don't like talking about that, but Jesus, I, I, it's not my words. Jesus said, you can't serve God and my money. It's a, it's a real deal. I mean, it's what mankind has been struggling with uh, since the existence of, of, of commerce. Because that's the nature of the flesh, is to depend on what we can do and what we can earn and what we can spend and what we can buy. It's the system of our world. So it's an easy tendency for us to trust in the stuff that we have and the things that we earn versus trusting in the one that gives us all. Is there an area, is there anything that you aren't willing to lay at his feet? It'd be very challenging. What about your family? What, is, there, is there an idol? Is there a God? Is there something that you're saying, man, I have to have this in my life. We do this all the time, or I do this all the time, or I, I, I mean, what is it? Is there something that you aren't willing to lay at his feet? If there's something that you right now have in your life that you know, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't be willing to give up this. That may very well be the thing that's keeping you from progressing to more Christ-likeness, which is God's will for your life as a child of God, God's will for my life. There's something there that's keeping us. It becomes an impedance. And so when we look at this mark of sacrifice, again, the closer we grow to, grow to Christ, Christ, the further we get from holding control of our life and the things in it. The, more, the closer we grow to Christ, the farther we get from hanging on to our life in this world and the things in this world. It's a challenge, but again, the life that is marked by sacrifice is a life that is moving to Christ-likeness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this challenge to me um, all this week so far. And uh, Lord, thank you for the challenge to our church.
Lord, a very sobering, very challenging thought. Lord, I, I know that there are times in our life that we may not say it with our lips, that there's something that we're not willing to sacrifice, but it's the decisions that we make that make it clear that there are certain things that we're not willing to lay at your feet. And it's not that you would necessarily ask us for those things. Maybe you would. I'm sure Abraham didn't think when you promised him Isaac that you would one day ask for, his, for him back. But Lord, help us have the right view of our lives. Help us to be living sacrifices. Help us to trust you wholly. Help us to have that right heart. Help us to, to again, see you as the source of all of our blessings. Help us never, never to hold on to something so strong that we wouldn't be willing to lay it at your feet. Lord, help us to live lives of sacrifice, living sacrifices. In Jesus' name, amen.